So tell us a bit more about your Botox experience. I have been dying to ask you that all week. Were you following the stories? Yes. This is so... I, honestly, I don't really look that different, <laughs> probably at all to you. Uh, I feel like my face is just a little bit more awake. Um, so right here in the middle, she put four units. And so a unit is like... I guess like measured inside the actual um, like vial or shot itself. I'm not sure. But what I originally thought units were was like one unit is one like shot, like one full vial or whatever. And it's, it's not, it's like a little kind of like label inside the actual vial. So it was one needle going right into right in between my eyebrows and she put four units, but you can't really tell how much four units is. You just, it feels the exact same as the ones that she put on the side. And on the sides, she did three units on each brow. And she kind of put like one on the very bottom of the brow, one like a little bit higher, and then one like right at the center. And so what that's going to do is kind of like pull the brows back just a little bit and basically like relax the muscle. So what she told me in my consultation is that like my entire forehead muscle is really strong. And because it's really strong, it tends to be heavier. So my whole concern going up to her was like, I feel like I have RBF all the time because I just feel like I'm, I always look like I'm frowning or, um, when I'm just listening, I don't feel like I look intrigued. I look kind of like concerned all the time and I don't, I'm not concerned kind of thing. So she was like, okay, it's, it's cause you have a heavy muscle. Um, so yeah, so she did the injections here and the injections on the side and the whole actual like injection part took less than a minute. It was like pinch, pinch, pinch pinch, 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 done. Like literally that was it. So fast. That's insane. Um, that is super fast. Yeah. So the appointment itself was 30 minutes, but the majority of the time I was waiting <laughs> um, and five of those minutes was the consultation. So it was like really fast. I just told her what my concerns were, um, what I was, what results I was looking for. And then, yeah, I was like, this is my first time. What do I expect? Um, so since it is my first time, she told me to expect full results in two weeks. So I already feel like I'm seeing something. I don't know what I'm seeing. I don't know if it's made up, but I already feel like I feel more like, I feel like the results I was looking for. I can definitely see a transformation. I'm not just making that up, but your forehead looks like so smooth right along here and your eyebrows are higher. Not like, not like crazy facelift, but just like you have definition in your brow at the side and the end. Like you look more alert, not in a crazy yeah. way. I want to make that very clear. Like she doesn't look <laughs> like she doesn't look like she's surprised, but you, you just look more awake in your eyes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I was really happy with that. And if, if it's just going to improve over the next like week and a half, I, I, I just, I can't see anything wrong with it. Ooh, I have a cat. Hello Ooh, cat. Oh, hi. Hi Buster. Oh, sweet. He doesn't leave me alone. He straight He's up so has big like now. I know. So he big. has like a anxiety when we leave him. He has like de- detachment issues. Okay, go over there, baby. I mean, who doesn't? Did you get um <laughs> any did you get any on the the uh, around the mouth or is that another consultation? Yeah, so I asked her about a couple of different things. Um so, okay, so when I frown, do you see it might be hard on the screen, but you see how it kind of like pinches that skin right there? So already when I frown, it's not nearly as bad as it used to be, which is crazy to me. 
Um, but she said, like, basically to get rid of all of that line, she said probably another eight units. And then to kind of like just ease the muscle a little bit more and kind of like just like make the face look more awake, she recommends like 10 units kind of across the top of the forehead. And I believe that's also the area which they recommend if you have chronic migraines to get. So I'm, I'm like, cool, nothing to lose. But then the next time, kind of outside the forehead area, what I want to do is I want to do a lip flip, which is kind of like um, lip a filler. A lip flip which... sounds really dangerous. <laughs> what the hell is that? No, it's like it's literally the easiest, most simple thing. I have seen this on TikTok so much and on Instagram. It's like it's it's starting. I'm starting to get targeted for it because like I'm seeing it so much. It feels like. Um, so I was very curious for a really long time. Like, what is it? What are the results? So it's essentially like getting lip filler but it's with botox and it's it's it doesn't last as long and it doesn't hurt as bad and the results are like way more natural so they basically it just like she gives you like an ejection i think on each side of the lip and all it does is it kind of just relaxes that part of the lip so instead of like pushing down it just like relaxes up a little bit so it's not adding any volume to your lip. It's just exactly how your lip is, but it just kind of like flips up a little so bit. So it's like, um, like that would be really dramatic on me, I feel like, because I have like um, like a pretty strong Cupid's bow right here, right? So it's very full in the peak, but pretty weak in the side. So if I got it there, like, man, you would, I would have like huge <laughs> well, side no. lip. Honestly, it really, I mean, it, it, it's not a like one size fits all. Like obviously with each person's lip shape, they adjust where it goes um, and just how much adjust kind of like the placement. So it looks the most natural on each person. So for me, I have like basically no upper lip, especially when I smile. So that's kind of like the benefit of getting a lip flip. It kind of like when you smile, instead of seeing the gums, it, it shows more lip. So that's kind of like the intrigue behind it. And actually, when I posted on this, uh, posted a, like about the Botox journey on our stories, I Avery, Avery, who joined us a couple episodes ago, um, she was like, oh, my mom is a, a, a Botox injector. Like she always taught me get Botox early to kind of prevent like wrinkles later on in life. So I love Botox. I'm obsessed with it. And then she was like, I just got a lip flip in December and I'm obsessed with it. And I'm like, girl, tell me because I want one. You couldn't oh tell on her, could you? No. Well, her skin was impressively beautiful, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, supple and like she looked really nice. But I was like, oh yeah, she just has amazing skin. It's glowing. That's normal. Yeah. So basically, I'm becoming obsessed with it. So the lip flip itself should only be like six units total ish which is so minimal and units are usually between like 10 and $15, depending on where you go. The place that I went uh, was $12 a unit. So the whole, so I got 10 units total. It only cost me $120 just to do okay. my Okay. That was my next question was like, can people go for a variety of budgets? That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what I was most excited about. So the Botox lasts a lot longer on the forehead than it does on the lips. So the results that I have for, for like my forehead and around my eyebrows are going to last me like around four months or I think longer maybe, um, which is so awesome because <laughs> it, I mean, and honestly with how short the session was, it is literally something I can see just kind of like plugging into my regular self-care routine. And the place that I went was in, um, studio city 
So there was a ton of shopping around there. I ended up going thrifting into like the bookstore nearby. So it kind of turned into a whole day, which I'm like, this is kind of fun. Like I can drop $100 on myself like every couple months just to go get some skincare done and then go on a little shopping trip. Like what's the harm in that? So I think that's so uh, beautiful. Yeah. Honestly, though, like the beauty, like the beauty regimes or like the beauty like trends that people end up picking, like they change from time to time. And I feel like plastic surgery gets, well, we could say like under the umbrella of plastic surgery, it gets such like a a negative rap. Like people just are so scared about it. But I honestly feel like everything you said is resonating so much with me. It's a beauty routine. Like it's something for self care. Like you want to look your best. You want to feel good. Like it's a small tweak as part of your beauty routine and your self care day. Like I, that's so beautiful. That's like, yeah, I want to do exactly, it. <laughs> I will go with you. Like it's, so, it's like, honestly, I was so nervous going in and I, I just have like anxiety going into any new situation really doesn't matter what it is. It, and it, it can almost feel debilitating. I was like driving and like my hands were shaking. I'm like, why, why are my hands shaking? Like I've gotten lip injections. Oh, I should have gone with you. I've gotten tattoos before. Nestor was with me. Like I wasn't alone. <laughs> Like I've gotten like yeah, needles you have in my body. <laughs> There's no <laughs> logical reason for me to be anxious, but like going into any new situation, I tend to have this like really high anxiety. But once I was there sitting down on the couch, filling out the forms, I was like, this place is so like nice. It's so peaceful. Everybody is so nice in here and so pretty, but not like in a way that it's like, ooh, you got a lot of work done. Like I'm afraid or not in a way that was like intimidating. Like, ooh, you're going to think that I, you know, I'm like this baby going into getting her first Botox. Like, no, they were so nice, so inviting. And the woman who did my injections, she was like so, so stunning. Like, I was like, I trust you with anything to do with my face. You are just like the most beautiful person I've ever seen. Your makeup is on point. Your skin is on point. Like, you just look happy and healthy. How can I be you? <laughs> so I felt great going into. Yeah. Like, honestly, you make it sound so straightforward and um like from just the standpoint of like you could add this to your routine like every four months you could go for this and it would not be too crazy like that's exactly how I'm feeling I'm like I really want to try this I think it would be really helpful obviously the wrinkle on my forehead could really use some help um but I'm like yeah I'm nervous like what will people think of me will they be like oh you went to LA and you got so like plasticky you're so fake now and I'm like guys Time and time again, I have to tell you, you come to LA and you live your best life. So this is just part of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, I'm really glad you said something about kind of like the fear because there was a little there. I mean, there was a pretty significant amount of like anxiety of like, what will people think? Same same kind of thing. Like I live in LA, of course, like as soon as I get Botox or like, ugh, of course, she's just like so two dimensional. Um, but no, it, it like like what I was saying just a minute ago, it just like genuinely felt like something for me and nobody else. Like I could care less if nobody saw the results. Like I I felt like it, it, it felt like permanent caffeine to my face. So why would I not like that? <laughs> like if I if I don't change the way that I actually look and I just look like myself after a good night's sleep, after like a really happy day, why wouldn't I not want to look like that anyways? Like that's how I look at my best. I want to achieve that. Um, and I don't want to be like always constantly aware of the way that my face is sitting. Like I don't want to be like, oh, do I have RBF? Like, oh, do people think that, you know, I look grumpy or something when I'm not? Like I, I always feel like I have that like anxiety of like the way that people perceive me anyways. So might as well just change it to be like, well, at least that's one anxiety I have to think less about. Like, 
I don't have to think about like how my brows are sitting on my face anymore. Like that makes me feel better. Um, but also like there are some like benefits of the Botox that just like cosmetically help as well. Like you, you said like my skin just looks smooth and healthy. That's the Botox. Like that's the Botox working. It helps with acne. It helps with blemishes. It helps smooth out your skin texture. So like as a skincare item, it, it just, it kind of felt natural for me to add that to my routine. And there was no like bruising. There was like, you couldn't really see the Botox when I left the left, like left the facility. Like when I got lip injections, I had to like basically put a mask on. Cause I'm like, you can see that I got lip injections and it looks really swollen right now. Like, like little, like, was it, oh, it was literally huge. Like, like the little filled areas? Oh God. Like, <laughs> But because it's because my skin is sensitive. It didn't look like that like a week later. That was just like leaving the actual facility, just got my lips injected, like ton of bruising. That's just like the way that type of like treatment looks when you leave. And that's fine. But when I'm thinking about just like leaving and going shopping or like turning it into a day, like Botox seemed so much easier and so much simpler. And it was. So I'm really excited to go back next paycheck <laughs> I'm like what else can that's I that's awesome I yeah. am just so proud of you for being like I'm interested I'm going I don't care about what other people want to associate that with like it is a thing for me and I'm the one who is benefiting and here you are like sharing with us this amazing experience and you're like totally winning me over I'm like it's time <laughs> and honestly, yeah and they I say the like- earlier you start is better for like long yeah, term. Yeah, so I'm probably already too, I'm far behind. Like I've had this wrinkle on my forehead since well, now I can't get it there. Since I was like 27. I feel like I woke up one day and I was like, oh, here it is. Um but yeah, like honestly, how is this any different from the things that I've done? Like I was just sitting here like counting all the things like I dyed my hair blonde, I got eyelash extensions, um, while I did Invisalign for five years. These are body modifications that are for self-improvement. And honestly, like, let's be real. When you feel good and you look good, those are related. And people also notice that in you. And people also treat you differently. Yeah, just like with how happy you are with yourself. Like, there's no harm in that. 100%. Yeah. Also, one of the selling points for going to the place that I went is uh, that's where Life Size Ken. I don't know if you know who that is. The Life Size Ken doll. That's where he goes for his plastic surgery. So I'm like, oh, really? (laughs) Because he looks snatched and he looks great. (laughs) I mean, he obviously looks like he's gotten work done, but it doesn't look bad. It just looks like he's gotten a lot of work done. Oh, it is that guy. I was like, yeah, I know who that is. Cheekbones. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yes, like, he, he definitely has a following. Has <laughs> a look. And yes, he has a following. He definitely has a look. That's funny. That that must be such a well, I don't know. Not a famous place. I guess any place in LA is it's probably got some kind of like cult following, but that's pretty cool. Definitely trustworthy if he's going there. Exactly my thought. I'm like, if somebody has gotten this much work done and they're continuing to look great and feel great and everything, like 
this seems like the perfect place. Also, it had just like five star glowing reviews from everybody. And that was the only place that I could find that didn't have like people saying like, "Ooh, I walked away with a botched job or I didn't feel great after or I think my person didn't know what they were doing. Like, so it was like the one place that didn't have reviews like that. So I felt I felt like extremely confident like with the person that I was working with, which is like why I was like, oh my God, she's so beautiful. <laughs> like, of course. Yeah. Trustworthy and uh, experienced. That's great. I'm so excited for you. And I'm really um, looking forward to see what like the two week mark looks like. Also your hair. Is there anything different about your hair? It just looks really nice. Oh, thank you. Um, I got it cut a few weeks ago. Oh, but it also looks just like, slightly darker maybe it's the screen but it's it looks it looks really good oh thank you no I didn't change the color that's probably just the screen but I I had the same thing this morning I was like my hair looks really good today why it looks great (laughs) (laughs) thank you there you you go the Botox has lasting (laughs) effects on all parts of you (laughs) right yeah (laughs) Uh, anyways how was your week what did you get up to um, what did I get up to? Well, we got that espresso machine, which is really cool. And I've had a latte every day this week. Um, makes me feel like I'm in Europe. I'm like, I'm just going to get up and have my espresso here at the bar. And yeah, I don't know. It's cute. We're having a good time with that. Um, it was a bit of an investment piece. It's like $700. I think it's on sale right now for $100 off. Oh, wow. Um, but it, it's an investment. So we've been looking at that for like four months. Um, ended up going with the Breville Barista Pro, I think. It's great. Love it. Definitely rate it highly. Um, so yeah, I could I could do a story on my experience with my my Breville espresso maker. Um, to, yeah, you got to show us how you use it. Show us how you make a latte. <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah really loving that and um I feel like this week was just recovery from being super sick last week like I'm not I'm still not my best like I probably still sound pretty congested although I always sound congested uh but I sound extra congested still um and yeah just like a bit under the weather and just trying to catch up from like last week and I don't know they just gave me so many clinics this week I feel like yesterday I was just sitting in my office and like having like one of those mental breakdowns where it's literally like your computer is just frozen. Um, and I, uh, I was just like sitting at my desk, like does not compute. <laughs> I cannot function. Um, yeah. So perhaps I've just like maybe taken on a bit too much work for being sick and like taken on a bit too much this week to try to compensate um, but hopefully next week is better. Uh, don't have as many clinics. I don't know. It just feels like you can like when you hit a certain place in your professional life, whatever you do, it's like a sick day doesn't exist for you anymore. Like you can physically not show up, but like nothing changes. Like it's just more work the next day or the next week. Like my boss was like, you should have taken a sick day. Um, and I, I, I was like, well, I couldn't take a sick day because as soon as I take a sick day, like I, I like I just, I'll, it'll be a snowball effect. So I guess I realized I hit like, I've, I've hit that professional level where I just can't not work. Like, 
it sounds really self-centered, but like, y'all need me. And if I'm not there, like, it's just worse the next day. It's worse for me. It's worse for you. No, like, I just, no. So anyways, that was a sad realization that basically I can't take a sick day ever. Well, I'm sorry that you haven't been able to rest. Hopefully that you can maybe get some time this weekend. Yeah, I was just like, make it to the weekend. It'll all be good. And I'm already feeling better. But yeah, it's been a week. It has been a week. So also just like, I feel like some weeks our patients are really straightforward. And I'm like, oh, I've seen this before. This is really easy. And then some weeks I'm just like, this result is literally straight out of hell. Like, (laughs) what does my child have? I don't know. There are like 15 things on this report. I have never seen any of them before. It's very complicated. No, it's never been reported. No, I don't know the prognosis. Is it associated with cancer? Maybe. Is it also associated with developmental delay? Definitely. How will they do? I have no idea. Are you feeling reassured? Not at all. So it was literally like kid after kid. I'm like, I don't know. So I think it also changes things. So yeah. yeah, it was like one of those weeks. And then my boss is like, oh, we have an interesting case. Could you um, could you draft something up? And I was like, uh, <laughs> like literally, like I just said, like short circuiting and like sitting at my desk <sighs> being like, I can't function. <laughs> so um, well, hopefully next week we'll talk be about like, yeah, like talk about like controlling your thoughts and like confidence and like procrastination, like the episode we just recorded, I was just like, yeah, I could have used that this week. I was so in my thoughts. So. Yeah. Well, do you want to, do we want to go ahead and just dive into this episode? Do you want to give a recap of uh, the two guests we got to talk to on this episode? Yeah. Um, So we ended up um, putting out like a call for ideas and guests on one of the LA Facebook groups. There's a number of Facebook groups that um, main, I would say mainly women use for like social events and meeting people and kind of um, self-promotion-y kind of things. And we did this a couple of months back when we were starting the podcast and some uh, people reached out to us, one of them being a girl named Lauren. So she's the Facebook moderator and she also has her own podcast, Dope Shit My Therapist Says, and her co-host, um, Ryan, uh, you know, she's on, she's on there with her co-host, Ryan, and they're both uh, licensed therapists. So it was really cool to meet her through that group and she helped answer some of our questions at the time and then she offered like a pod swap. So it said, that's super cool. Never done a pod swap. Let's do it. Um, got chatty and uh, learned a bit more about these girls and that their kind of expertise or experience, of course, therapy, but they have a lot of experience working with the younger generation, a little bit younger than us, uh, like right in the heart of Gen Z. Um, they had some experience working with uh, like in a high school setting with um, high school students, young adults. And we thought it would be really cool to ask them, you know, more about their experience and um, just kind of compare and contrast to the millennial experience that we have. So that's kind of how it started. Um, And then all in all, because it's a pod swap, we are super excited to be going on their podcast. Um, I think we're recording next week. 
So anyways, we're super excited to go on there and do our recording because they want to hear about making friends in LA and our experience of moving to LA, which as any Coconut Grove longtime listener knows, is very difficult. And there is a big story there. See episode one. So yeah, we're super excited to be on their podcast. Get excited for that. We will link you guys to that one. Um, And I'm sure that's going to be a hilarious episode. But back to the episode with them. So um yeah they were really insightful a little bit about like gen z a little bit about like the experience of dealing with social media during um like covid times um how that's different from millennials versus gen z um mental health issues um kind of just how everyone is managing everything these days but looking at it from the perspective of how gen zers are a little bit different and how there are different challenges for them um as they kind of come up and start entering the workforce and start um, like making a name for themselves. So I think it was really insightful. Like I learned a lot about, um, about the generation as a whole and some of the amazing strengths that they have. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm really, I'm really excited for this episode too, because I I'm kind of falling in the line of the end of millennial beginning of Gen Z. So I can kind of relate to both sides of the conversation. Um, yeah, it was really, really cool. Um, and also really awesome opportunity to just connect with other podcasters, because that's the first time we've ever done that. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. Um, this is um, the pod swap with dope shit, my therapist says, and our conversation about Gen Z mental health. Hi guys, welcome to another episode. We are super excited today because we are doing our first pod swap. We have on with us today, Lauren and Ryan from Dope Shit My Therapist Says, the podcast. These are two millennial licensed therapists and we're super excited to have them on with us today because we're going to learn a lot more about um, Gen Z. We're going to learn a little bit more about millennial and the experience that we all have with all those crazy things like social media, school, life in general, and talk to them a little bit more about their podcast. So welcome to the show, girls. Thank you. Glad to be here. Hi. Thank you for having us. We're so excited to chat with you today. We're excited too. So why don't you guys tell us a little bit more about yourselves? Maybe tell us a bit about the podcasting world. Tell us about your podcast. We'd like to hear about how that started and your journey to where you are now. That sounds good. I'll start and then have Ryan um, jump in. Uh, but we met in grad school during our master's program where we got our master's in counseling. And through the last couple years, we both became licensed. Ryan moved to Connecticut shortly after we graduated. She's licensed in Connecticut. I just got licensed in California. I'm based in Los Angeles and have been doing telehealth therapy for almost two years because of the pandemic. I used to work at a high school, so I worked with Gen Z and teenagers. And for the last uh, six months, I've been working in private practice 
practice. I'm building up my clients. I see a range of different people work on um, various topics and mental health challenges. I'm most passionate about working with teenagers and the Gen Z population. Um, and it's it's a lot of fun. And um, I'll have Ryan jump in and then we'll talk about our podcast. <laughs> yes, that's exactly how we met. Um, so yeah, I'm living in Connecticut now. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, just like Lauren. And I have a range of experience from working with adults with schizophrenia and severe mental illness um, to working with uh, babies with autism. And now I currently work at a high school. So, and I also own my own private practice part-time and my main focus is Gen Z and teenagers. That's definitely where I've found myself to be happiest. And I feel like teenagers are just great because they're little adults. And a lot of times they're very motivated to do the self work and to be present with themselves. So that always makes me super excited. Yeah. And our podcast, we've been podcasting for a year and a half and we both wanted to do something creative. And then Ryan came up with this idea to do a podcast. And so we've been doing it now for a year and a half. We just uh, made stickers, which are so cute. It's our new logo, which we launched a couple weeks ago in 2022. It's super cute. Um, but we have different guests on that talk about um, various topics. We have therapists on, we have you know everyday people, but we always have our conversations circle back to mental health because mental health deserves to have a platform that isn't super clinical. And so that's what we're trying to do. And um, our podcast also has um, our own content and we like to post uh, various resources on mental health and then just topics that we find um, that we're passionate about. Yeah, definitely. Oh, we love that so much. Um, when Ashley and I were coming up with our podcast um, concept, we did touch on mental health a little bit, um, but we were like, let's just make it like a thread where it kind of like threads through everything that we do. Um, and it kind of has like, there's always some sort of mention of mental health in our episodes, but this is the first episode where we're like, let's just dedicate, like, let's set time aside and get into the gritty um, because I'm thankfully we've reached this point in society where we can all acknowledge that everybody has some sort of mental health barriers or issues, um, that they're trying to work through. So, um, yeah, we're really excited for you guys to be able to kind of help us, um, go understand what the other generations are going through and how, um, there are some similarities and things that we went through when we were in high school and what has changed since social media. I'm sure you guys have a lot, uh, to say about social media. Um, yeah, we're really thrilled. Yeah, definitely. Social media plays a huge role, I think, in so many things. I mean, not just in the millennial experience, but so much more even so in, in Gen Z's experience because things have changed. There's so many more platforms and ways to access social media. So I think it's a huge topic. So did you guys always know that you wanted to work with a younger generation or did you just fall into it? Or, you know, Ryan, it sounds like you kind of have this passion for it, but um, yeah, how did it end up fitting for you guys that you moved this direction? Um, I guess I'll go first. Uh, so I didn't always want to be a therapist. I always wanted to be in a more creative field, but it kind of just happened to me. I feel like my mom is a therapist. So I grew up with that conversation quite a bit in my life. And so it kind of just led me to where I'm at. I never wanted to work with kids. I always wanted to work with adults or young adults. And um, when I was working with the zero to three population, it definitely like 
set in stone that I was like, no, no children, please. Uh, so when I started working with teenagers, I felt that it was a good medium and it actually worked better for me than working with the adult population. So I think just of me picking as many different populations as I gained experience, it really led me to where I was supposed to be. And for me, I have always wanted to be a therapist. I just didn't know it. Uh, when I was like 17 or 18, I took my first psychology class in high school and I decided I wanted to be a child psychologist because my entire resume is um, children. So um, got my bachelor's in psych and then I was a preschool teacher for a year in between uh, my bachelor's and master's. And then during my master's program, I worked with a lot of kids and I said, I don't want to do this actually. I love children and in, in teaching children is different than therapy with children. Therapy with kids is really, really difficult unless you know that is something you're passionate about and you like doing it. So with teenagers, I fell into this high school job and um, you know I could always go back and touch on that. But, um, you know, in the last couple of years of working there, which, you know, I ended my job like six months ago, naturally, um, but I'm definitely still open to potentially returning. And I know that they would want me <laughs> to return, but um, I dealt with some really intense issues, including a school shooting and having to um, work in crisis counseling. So after that, I think it solidified for me that I wanna work with teenagers and young adults. And I consider young adults, you know, just a little off branch of teens. So like the 18 to 21, um, or like, you know, they say, they call it like Tay, like the um, transitional age youth is 18 to 25. So more like that. Um, so for me, it was just a natural progression, but teenagers are fun. And I'm sure Ryan would agree. Like the reason why we like working with them is because they're still learning. So we can't get too mad at them, but they also challenge us. And the way they challenge us is fun because it's like, we've also can relate because we were teenagers at one point in our lives. And even though we're going through different things, it's not that different. In the end. Yeah, I actually am curious about that a little bit. Um, did you have you each um, taken therapy? Like, did you guys see a therapist when you were in high school or at that kind of young, impressionable age? When I was 13, I saw a therapist for a little bit because middle school was really difficult for me. I, I um, was cyberbullied and it was really bad. And so my parents took me to a therapist, but I don't remember it being very helpful. And then I didn't see another one until grad school because in grad school, you have to see one for like a year and get an X amount of hours, which makes sense. And um, I never thought to ask for one, but in high school, I didn't really need to because my parents are very supportive. And my mom especially would always listen when I had issues. So I felt a lot of love and support in my home. And I also was very like average, kind of quiet, um, stay out of trouble high schooler. So for me, it's like I, I felt like once middle school had passed, like any issues I had could be um, easily resolved by talking to my friends or my parents. But yeah, I did see a therapist for a little bit when I was 13. And actually, we, we went to family therapy, too. And I don't even remember why. It's almost like I blacked it out of my life. Super weird. That is weird. I didn't know that about you, that you did family therapy, too. I actually, surprisingly, growing up with a therapist for a mother, never went to therapy as a child or a teenager. I definitely needed it as a teenager, and it was never offered to me, which is, surprises a lot of people. Um, and my first time going to therapy was also was in grad school because it was required of us, and I was excited for it. I'd always wanted to, but it had never been quite an option when I 
was younger. So I still go to therapy now. I see my therapist at least once a month. And I think it's just super helpful to have somebody, even if you're not really going through anything particular, just someone to listen to you vent and talk about stuff because sometimes your friends are kind of sick of hearing about the same things over and over again. (laughs) I think it's really interesting that you guys had, I mean, slightly different experiences with like therapy being considered or offered in your families. And I wonder if that's a trend we're seeing. Like from my experience, my family was extremely hesitant to recognize any issue as, you know, quote, a mental health issue. You know, it's something that could be just discussed with the family Um, a lot of times things are brushed under the rug or they're just not evaluated as seriously as they might need to be. And so I never got therapy until I was fully an adult and could make that decision on my own. And it kind of spurred like my whole family going and, um, not necessarily seeking therapy, but in different ways, different family members either went to a therapist or got help in some other similar kind of way that worked for them. And it just feels like um, the transitional generation that we are, like the the younger millennial people are like, hey, this is worthwhile. And maybe I didn't get this offered to me when I was a kid, but I want to offer this to my kids or I want to recognize this in other people that are my age or, or that kind of thing. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I see the millennial generation as the cycle breakers is what we call it in therapy, which are the individual in the family that chooses to step outside the norm and the pattern of what's happening, even though it's difficult. And it sounds like for you, that experience ended up being beneficial for the rest of your family. Although that's not the case for everybody. Sometimes the cycle breakers end up having to leave their family system completely because the family's not happy about that, you know, break happening. Um, but I do see that the millennials definitely started press the start button on the car and Gen Z is like full blown, just like hitting the gas. They are much better advocates for themselves when it comes to therapy and mental health. And although I do see a lot of their parents saying yes to therapy, I do also see the pushback too. So I think the older generations are still kind of in this middle ground because their parents aren't most of their parents aren't millennials. So, you know, they're still just kind of before us. See, that's what I'm wondering as well. Um, because I, I've noticed a very similar pattern with a lot of different families. I have a very similar experience to Ashley. Um, but what about the families that are like, do you, do you see that, um, families that have both millennial and Gen Z children, do you see like a shift, like kind of when that age changes, like, um, as far as the parents go, like the parents noticing a shift, like, um, for example, like watching their like older children, like their millennial children graduate high school, realizing they didn't go through any therapy. And then now they're starting therapy while at the same time they have like a 15 year old, you know, kid going to high school who probably needs that. Do you think there was a shift in their parents as well? Kind of watching that, that change? I think that's always possible. I can't think of like an exact uh, example because um, a lot of the teenagers that I worked with, and I'm just going to, you know, talk about the ones because private practice is different. Private practice, I mean, of course, a parent can force their kid to come. 
Um, but the teenagers I work with in private practice have asked their parents for therapy. In the high school setting, um, you know, I worked with uh, special education. So a lot of them have IEPs and therapies required. And, you know, by the end of therapy, when I was working with all of them, they definitely were interested in the therapy, maybe not at first. But I'm sure there's definitely families out there where there is an older child that maybe asked and didn't get and receive, and maybe they're in therapy now as adults versus kids. I think that's one of the things about social media that's been really good. And um, specifically celebrities speaking out on their mental health issues over the last, I would say like five, six years, um, because you know kids are impressionable. And I think that's probably helped push them towards asking about therapy. And uh, I mean, I just joined TikTok like a month ago and it's been amazing. I actually love it. Um, but I do see a lot of mental health content on there. Uh, some, most good, some bad, some questionable. I don't know how to feel about that, but we could, we could dive into that uh, in a little bit. We were, we're laughing over here because we were just talking about the fact that I need to get on TikTok. I'm the older of the two, so I, I was like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> but I, I and I'm like Ashley, you you need TikTok in your life. Like your life is nothing without TikTok. <laughs> so I, I'm gonna dive in there and try to get the algorithm to recognize what I like a little bit better, but. Yeah. And I, I, I just want to go back to the word cycle breaker. I haven't heard that before. And I think that really summarizes what I was experiencing quite nicely. Um, do you think there's cycle breakers in every generation or is it just the millennials or is it millennials for mental health that were cycle breakers? So there's cycle breakers in basically every family. It just depends on the varying degrees of it. And it and it would be generational per se, like not necessarily like if you have a family of four, one person will be a cycle breaker. Um, it might be later down in the generations that you start to see it. And those people usually have it a bit harder um, because they have generations and generations of people in the same exact pattern. And then they've decided to step outside this pattern. Um, but I do see millennials being much more of like generational cycle breaker for you know, across the board. And I think that, you know, we, we've had that before too. I think back to like the Vietnam times, like that generation was the cycle breaker for the time period. So it, it happens regularly where full generations may kind of step outside the norms to create change. And do you know what, um, like makes someone a cycle breaker? Is it just like a series of events that make someone so uncomfortable it's time to break the cycle? Or do you guys know what a cycle breaker is going to look like? Before they come to you? Yeah, like, can you predict it? I wonder. I, sometimes I feel like the people who come to be, like, the only people who are like, oh, like you, I'm the only person in my family who's ever been to therapy and, like, okay, they're a cycle breaker. Um, and it's a lot of it is just you having ideas that may not match up to your family and instead of just saying, like, okay, maybe I should follow them anyways, you decide to start making small steps to kind of be that individual, I suppose. And his personality to some extent, I think, because you have to be sort of resilient to push past, you know, all of it. But it's also hard because if you are that person in your family, you're risking everything. And I don't know that people think about that very often because you will, uh, for example, like you might have a mother who will never understand why you're in therapy, will not own up to any of anything that you talk about in therapy with, uh, you know, the therapist. And basically it's like, you might start to feel alienated in your own family. 
And that's hard. I, I'm speaking off of my friends' experiences that are in that situation. And it's very brave of them to do that and smart. I think that it's like, you know, we talk about it a lot on our podcast, but it's like um, no one gets mad when you go to the doctor for feeling sick, but you're going to see a therapist because you're feeling sick and now something's wrong with you. Um, but that, you know, is stigmatization from like, you know, mental hospitals and Freud and all of that stuff. But, um, you know, to choose to start to break the cycle in any situation, whether that be going to see a therapist or something a little bit more extreme, you might feel like you're on an island alone. And a lot of people don't want to do that. And that's why they hesitate or make excuses or start but stop and go back to their old ways. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I want to uh, touch on something you spoke about earlier. Uh, Lauren, you were, you were saying that it's actually the first time that I've heard a therapist specifically. You were saying that social media is actually like you're seeing it help mental health. And everything that I've ever seen and ever heard is like how social media is detrimental to mental health. So can you touch on that a little bit on ways that you're seeing um, social media actually help improve the collective mental health? Definitely. So funny enough, my master's thesis was on social media and social media groups. And I just think it's super funny. Uh, at the time, that was before TikTok, but obviously in the era of Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat. Um, you know, I think the reason why it can be helpful, it, it's up to you to make it helpful and to find the positives in it. Because you have every right to set a boundary of who you see, who you add, who you follow. And, you know, I'm, I, it's been discussed before, so it's definitely not a profound, um, you know, situation, but there have been many therapists who've talked about the fact that you can unfollow people and that you can, you know, if you're, if you're envious of someone's life and you're not happy right now, you can unfollow them and you don't have to see that. So you can follow the content you want to follow. You can follow the creators that you want to follow. And then, um, I mean, you guys know, but I'm also, uh, I also created this really big Facebook group where that is social media. And so many people have met friends that way. And that was my intention in creating... <laughs> in creating the group and that's social media. So there's a positive right there, um, you know, but it's, it's really up to the person to decide is the content I'm consuming healthy for me right now? Do I need to take a break? You can delete the apps off your phone. You don't need to have them on. So it's really your decision and your choice to make a positive um, social media experience. And for me, I've done more of that lately. I've, you know, taken breaks. I've said, you know, I'm not going to be on for a couple hours. Someone else handle all of the things. Um, and I follow creators and friends and people that I like to see. I'm genuinely happy for them. I want to see these photos, but it's easy to mute people. It's easy to unfollow. It's also easy to follow back. So it's really like almost like a create your own experience. That's how I see it. And kind of on the reverse side of that, um, there are obvious examples we could talk about where it, it's, you know, more damaging or more harmful. But Lauren, I'm hearing you talk a lot about like what I hear in that is like healthy boundaries. And I don't know if anybody, I don't know if everybody knows how to set healthy boundaries, especially around social media. So like, what are the ways that, um, and Brian, obviously this question's for you as well, but, um, what are the ways that you see um, people creating healthy boundaries that are working for them? And then what are some of your own personal healthy boundaries that you've created? Actually, 
Ryan, I'll have you. No, I was going to say I'll have you start. <laughs> I actually have a teen client. She's a junior in high school who all of a sudden decided that she wanted to live out experiences without having to feel like she had to put them on social media. So when she has things come up, like she went to California over the summer and then she went to Hawaii for her birthday, um, she deleted all of her social media apps and will go on like full base, basic detoxes and then talk about the experience of how she was able to just be more present with herself. And I've seen major growth whenever she does that. It's really interesting. But I think that, you know, is a really hard for a lot of teenagers and it's hard for us. I mean, I'm addicted to my phone. I, if a kid comes in, like is having a hard time putting their phone down, I'm like, I'm right there with you. Like I have the urge to grab it all the time. I have the urge to start swiping through stuff instead of doing something more productive or healthier. Um, and so I think setting boundaries is really hard. So you have to almost use your technology to help you set those boundaries sometimes. Like if you have an iPhone, I don't know about Androids to be honest with you, but there's like, you know, time frames you can set on it. So it cuts you off from your apps at a certain time or, you know, focus mode, nighttime mode, all of those things. So I encourage a lot of my students and kids to use that to help themselves stay accountable. You know, if you're doing homework, set on, set this mode on. If you need to get to bed by a certain time, have your phone shut itself down. All of those things, like utilizing your technology to help you set those boundaries a little bit better. Yeah, and I'll, I'll piggyback off of that too. Um, for me, you know, when I'm busy, I'm not on my phone. And the pandemic has caused a lot of, I, f I feel like this addiction, this tie to the phone, because we were sitting around all day and working from home and kids were in school and for, you know, Generation Z, this is, this is kind of all they know because we grew up without a phone. We know what it's like to not have social media. Uh, Instagram was created when I was like 19. And I'm so glad it was because, you know, these kids who became, you know, middle schoolers who got their first phone or at 10 years old, whatever their parents decide. I mean, I got my first flip phone at 12 and I couldn't even take photos on it. So, you know, we're just that's where our generation is different. But for Gen Z, you know, they're used to the, you know, being on the apps all the time. And then with the pandemic, I definitely made it harder. So Ryan, I mean, your client, the fact that they're, you know, she's doing this is amazing. I would like to take some tips from her. And I sort of have, you know, the other day I was busy from morning to night. I was networking, I was with friends, and I didn't even see most of the posts that were on Instagram until I laid in bed that night. And let me tell you, I felt amazing because I know that when I'm not happy or I'm bored, I'm on my phone more. And so um, as far as boundary setting goes, like what Ryan said, and also just like forcing myself to do other things or, you know, telling myself the phone, you know, I'll go on it later, putting it on do not disturb. There'll be hours in the day where I just put it on there so I'm not feeling tempted. I also don't get notifications on my phone right away. Uh, so I'd have to go onto the app to see if anyone uh, messaged me. So that also helps too. So do you think the fact that millennials grew up without all of these things has given us like a leg up on the next generation? Or do you think that you know, Gen Z somehow is better prepared to deal with a social media break because, you know, they've used it, they know the technology, they're on it all the time, and they're ready to take a break. Like, which generation do you think is better? And um, how would you support the generation that needs more help in getting off social media for breaks? I actually think millennials are probably better at taking breaks. And I think it's because we had less of it. So, 
maybe so that the millennial generation has an app that they prefer, right? Like I feel like some of the older millennials are more Facebook driven, the younger millennials are more Instagram driven, but I feel like we don't really put our hands in all of them where Gen Z from my experience with my high schooler is, is they don't even text. Like they use Snapchat to talk to each other and that's it. Like if you text them, they're not really going to look at it, respond. I mean, they're sending thousands and thousands of Snapchats per day. Um, so, and then, you know, they have discord, TikTok, Instagram. And so they're on all of those on a very regular basis. And that's their form of communication. So when I've seen some of my teens get their phones taken away, like their life is over because their entire social interactions are through social media, not just texting or phone calling or FaceTiming. Like they will use all of the social media apps to interact with each other. So I think that's where it's gotten hard. Instead of them being able to utilize different methods to talk to each other, they're really stuck in just using social media to message back and forth. Well, I wonder, um, just on that, do they like, do they have skills? Like, I don't want to say that they've not developed the skills to be able to communicate in other ways. I'm assuming they can communicate in other ways and they can find social avenues in other ways, but it sounds like it's really hard. Do you know, um, like how they're doing that in, in breaks or when they get their phone confiscated? Cause it sounds terrible, but I'm assuming they don't fall apart completely. Like, what does that look like for some of your clients? Um, I mean, they do fall apart pretty badly, but I would say this is like the younger Gen Z. I'm not saying, you know, these are high schoolers and middle schoolers whose brains are still developing. I would say it's probably different for college age Gen Zs. Um, just so your listeners don't think I'm like, think that they're just like incapable of coping without social media. Cause that's definitely not true. Um, I think it's a skill that really needs to be built for them of how to expand themselves so that there's other options besides social media on to, to cope. Uh, and that's definitely a struggle that I see quite a bit with the kids that I work with. Now, whose responsibility do you think it is to kind of help create those systems? Do you think the millennial generation, because we kind of have a little bit of both sides, we grew up kind of with the internet, but not as early. Um, or do you think it's the parents of Gen Z? Like, you know, who, who's who's creating the rules? Who's creating the boundaries? Like, um, because if, if Gen Z, especially the younger um, ages are struggling on their own, like obviously they need help. So yeah. What do you think about that? Well, what I've noticed too with kids is that they, they have the iPad, you know? And so I've noticed that my little cousins, same way, like they have this iPad, she's almost five, you know? So she's just as addicted in her own way as a little kid to, to technology. And, um, you know, I see my cousin on technology and clearly her daughter's following. Um, I think that, you know, I'm not a parent yet, but one day if it's a similar situation as it is currently, I would have a no phone policy and make sure that I set certain boundaries in place just to teach my child that they don't need to survive with the phone all the time. Um, and not as a punishment, but, um, that's something my parents never had to do. So they literally don't know because they didn't have to do it. And, um, you know, now that I live alone and I'm responsible for myself, I have to make myself get off the phone. I have to make these choices to not be attached to my phone. But I think parents need to set that foundation. But of course, there's a lot of parents that are 
busy working, not present. So then what do you do? Um, and at that point, that's a good question. I don't know that I have that answer. Obviously, if a, if a teenager or you know someone Gen Z is working with a therapist, great. They have a resource that can help them with that. But um, I think there's a lot of parents that are like, what do I do? How do I get my kid to communicate and talk to me? And it's, you know, I think it's still, people are still working on it. I think therapists, uh, doctors, uh, you know, parents, they're all, we're all working on how do we do that. But unfortunately, their kids are going to be set up for lack of communication skills that go beyond just like, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? Phone calling the doctor, you know, and I was like that too. Like as a millennial, I was like, I don't want to make my own doctor's appointment. But because everything is through messenger, that's really the issue where Whereas in like the 80s, you had a landline. So it was like, oh, I'm going to call my friend. So you knew how to call on the phone or, you know, I'm going to go visit them at their house uh, because those are your only options. So for like our parents, that's how they had to communicate with people. For us, we had a little bit of a split where we had, you know, people calling us, but then also the phone. And then you have Gen Z with just the phone and the lack of communication skills are poor because, you know, when you're just using one platform and talking in that way, how are you going to learn? And, uh, you know, they don't teach that in high school. Uh, they never did. I don't know if they ever will, but I mean, I would be down for, you know, maybe like uh, freshman year, they usually teach like health. How about you have like a boundary setting, emotional, uh, you know, health course or something like that, that teaches basic communication skills. I'm all about that. I don't know if Ryan has any thoughts. Yeah, I agree with the parent part of it. And I completely understand that parenting is extremely difficult. And, you know, having this technology gives parents a break. And I don't think that we should go no technology, but I think from the moment you have a child being ready to teach your child how to be resilient, emotionally intelligent, and to communicate what's happening for them and not to rely on any part of their life too heavily for coping or distraction. And I think that's what happens, right? Is, you know, we use technology to punish, we use technology to reward. And so where is that difference in their mind, right? Like technology is everything. When I get it, I'm happy. When it's gone, I'm upset. And then there's no teaching on how to cope with those feelings of when you're upset with something, like what should you do that's healthy? Let's go for a walk as a family or let's talk about it or, you know, like leaving that door open for the communication skills to be built so that when your child is a teenager and they're struggling with a lot of things, they have different avenues to go down so if technology isn't available or it's not appropriate to utilize, that they have ways to cope besides texting their friends or, you know, getting on whatever. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And I think it's really insightful just to hear it um, verbalized in that way. I'm wondering, because you guys are talking a lot about uh, like a loss of communication skills, uh, but it sounds like it's a loss of coping skills. So what other areas do you see people losing or struggling to develop skills in besides communication? Like, is it also in like self-care in like calming techniques and managing different difficult emotions? Like how else does this spill into people's lives? All the above, really everything you mentioned. Um, and like speaking from my own experience, like I am letting, you know, technology sometimes rule how I feel, which is so bad. That is so bad, but relatable. 
And I'm sure most people can can agree with me when they're like, wow, I just saw something or I just posted something. Should I have posted that? Uh, you know, Ryan and I were actually talking about that before we hopped on here. But it's like, you know, just being okay with like making certain choices too and not regretting, you know, uh, like a Instagram post or something because, you know, and that's also with like the um, the like factor too. It's like, you know, that's, that's a high. That's an adrenaline high, you know. Oh, I'm getting all these likes. Oh, good. I feel great. Oh, but my next post has like five. Great. I feel like shit. I, I don't know if we're allowed to curse, but um, yeah. So like that's another factor too. But as yeah, self care and coping. I, I just think our down as a society, and that also has to relate to our current climate too. But I don't think te- or I don't think uh, technology really helps with that. Um, but but I will say there are apps that do help like Calm and meditation apps and some like workout fitness apps and like YouTube you can go on and like look up, you know, different um, ways to, you know, calm yourself down or, you know, uh, better help, I guess. You could talk to a therapist that way. Um, so there are, there are um, ways to work around it. But I think that for the most part, um, self-care and coping and you know, feeling your feelings, they're all tied back to, you know, how much uh, do I put on the value of what I see on social media? How much does that affect me? And and realistically, the only way to work through that is is to see a therapist, I think. You know, if we're going to give a solution for that, I would say therapy, (laughs) finding a good therapist. Yeah. The other thing that I see a lot of, and I've been curious about it and wondering where it's coming from, is this um, lack of ability to deal with things when they don't go your way. Um, Or if you're, you know, something's being taken away from you. Um, So that could be bad grades. It could be, you know, not being chosen for something. Like there's kind of this, like, I don't want to say entitlement, but just this real lack of ability to cope with a no, um, or a negative consequence. I see a lot of kids, especially at the high school where they don't understand consequences, really. It's like, they'll do whatever they want to do in the moment. And then when the consequence actually comes, they're either don't care, it doesn't bother them, or they're so distraught over it that they don't know how to handle or cope with it. So I've seen a lot of that too, which I am not quite sure where that's coming from. And I find it kind of interesting. Yeah, it it sounds like a lot it sounds like the this situation is stemming from a lot of things, like exposure to a lot of things, like obviously social media. Um, but like what else is contributing to this? Because I I mean, it's easy to pin everything on social media, like social media is the reason why everybody's going through all of this. But like what other external factors is it like, you know, film and television as well? Is it like how have like um, social groups changed? Because I'm sure like um just like regular, like in-person social settings are wildly different than they were when we were in high school as well. Do you, do you see those differences? I think it's also important to just talk about the pandemic because I don't really remember life before it. I mean, I do, of course, but like it changed me. It, it made me look at things in my life that I never had to look at before. And so 
you know, social media plays a huge part in it, as you said, and as we've talked about, but also just the way the world is currently and the restrictions that especially Gen Z teenagers have because they're not adults and they can't decide for themselves what they can and cannot do. So, you know, I think some parents have definitely let up as, as COVID has continued on, but I think the lack of control, and for me, the lack of control has also played a huge factor in how I feel. So I can only imagine for the younger generation how it feels to be told by your mom, you know, you can't go see your friend because COVID, like, oh my God, what, what is that like? Um, and like my current teenagers I work with, I don't think it's affecting them anymore, but at one point I think it must've been really hard for them. And so then like, how do you interact with people again? Um, and then like, you know, it's like back to the phone, you know, back to the phone, you can call your friend, you can FaceTime and it's like, okay, here we go with the phone. But what if they were punished and something went wrong and then the phone was taken away? Now what? Now they're isolating in their room. Now they don't know how to cope. And it's just a bad domino effect. There has to be some sense of community that the Gen Z is gaining from this as well, though, at least something in my experience kind of being on the younger um, of the millennial spectrum is that I meet a lot of friends on, on the internet from different parts of the world. And there is a sense of like, my community is out there. There are people like me out there that I wasn't immediately able to see in my high school community. So that has to play like a big factor, um, I imagine, with an entire generation, because in, in some in some ways, like their friend groups are becoming international or becoming out of state or out of city. Um, do you think that's a, a, like positively impacting their social skills in that way, just by being exposed to other types of uh, cultures or um, family styles, things like that? I would say yes and no. I do see some of my students and, you know, teenagers, similar to what you're saying. You know, I did the same thing. Chat rooms and talking to people all over. One of my best friends I'm still friends with 18 years later, and she we met on a chat room. So, you know, online friends are super important. But I do see some kids that are sucked into online world so much that they don't actually have in-person friends. So I see that as a huge issue um, because they're really suffering socially in that way because your ability to sh show up socially online is way easier than in person, right? You have this buffer on somebody's response or not being able to see your facial features or whatever it is. So I think it's a positive and negative. I think if Gen Z can make sure to build in-person friendships and online distant friendships, I think it's only helpful. Um, you were talking about community though, and I like I'm, I'm talking mostly from a teenage perspective because I don't interact with that many um, older Gen Z people, but I will say that I think the pandemic has ruined that community aspect for a lot of Gen Z because they're missing out on how many years of high school, how many years of college. It's all online. They don't get the chance to like Lauren and I did meet in a classroom, go out to lunch together or whatever. I think that's a huge part of our identities. And they're missing out on these core years of that because of the pandemic. And I think that's we're going to see some major impacts on people moving forward because of that. It honestly sounds like it's just um, different ways that people are able to build resilience and how that's being taken away by both social media and the pandemic at different times for the different generations. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. Yes, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, cause I've seen it in myself. And so I think that's why I'm so like 
yeah, yes, I have, you know, I, I do feel like that those are two main points that are affecting community, affecting coping, affecting um, mental health in general. Um, and, you know, I just hope things get better. You know, I hope things get better soon because, um, you know, I work with a young adult, she's 20 and she's in college and she, you know, has a friend base luckily, but she also, I mean, that could be because she has a job, but we are always, um, you know, talking about ways to meet new people and the barriers when we talk about it, you know, and everyone's life is so different. Some people have a lot of time, some people have a lot of money and some don't. And so um, that, and it's not even just uh, young adults, like my adult male client who I work with, we were brainstorming for ways for him to meet new people that don't revolve around, you know, drinking. Um, so even that was hard. Um, at least kids can now go back to school and be with their classmates, but it doesn't mean that they're ch chatting. They're still very much, um, you know, isolated in their little friend groups and cliques. Um, so it's not like things are better, but they're definitely better in the sense that at least they get the opportunity to see people their own age and interact in a classroom. But um, the pandemic really messed up a lot of the community aspect. Yeah, you're so right. And I'm glad that you mentioned um, your uh, adult client because that's actually an episode that Ashley and I are wanting to do in the future is like all about making friendships in adulthood. Um, because yeah, I, I agree. I think COVID definitely messed a lot of stuff up, but I also, I, I mean, a lot of what you're describing is honestly my high school experience as well. I did not make very close personal friends in high school. I had a couple people that I like couple classmates that I knew that I shared, but I would only really see them in that class because we shared that class. Um, um, the majority of my close friends did not live in the same state as me. And I don't necessarily think that I have bad personal skills. Like I'm still able to make friendships, but I feel like a lot of that might come from just like, like, did we, did we all like forget how to make friends or like, were we not taught that? Like, are we relying too much on the people who are in, in our like close vicinity to make them friends versus like, the person that you're wanting to be friends with or the person that you feel like would be your best friend is out there. You just haven't met them yet. I feel like that rings true for a lot of people um, outside of the Gen Z generation as well. Um, what, what do you say to that? And then do you have any suggestions? Like, I would like to know what, what you suggested to your client. Um, I, obviously, if you don't, you know, kind of want to go in that specific example, but just like, what would you recommend for people who are Gen Z and people who are millennial? Yeah, so... It's, uh, I'm thinking about a couple of my clients. So there's my teenage client who is just like wanting to grow up. And we've talked about that for months and, you know, finding friends is hard for her. She went to um, a new school, like in a new district. And so it's been hard for her to make friends. And, you know, I keep telling her that, um, you know, stay a kid as long as you can. But I understand where she's coming from because I would say that like I became my real self when I went to college and people met the real Lauren. And um, if you don't go to college, but you go into like a job that's going to lead to a career that you love or, you know, some other program, that's when you kind of start to meet the people that you gel with because you have all this opportunity, you have more freedom and like specific, I'll just speak on college, like going into the psych program, I knew that everyone around me who was in my classes were interested in at least one thing that I was interested in. Um, for my male, um, you know, my male adult client, it, 
honestly, I was just as stumped as he was. And it's harder for men to meet friends because men are not going to just show up randomly to an event as much as women would. But I have had many experiences even before the pandemic where I planned events for, you know, my women's group and there are people that wanted to come and nobody came. So I had to kind of go into my therapy brain and say, okay, what's going on? Finding out that it's everybody wants friends, but they're just too afraid to put themselves out there. And so then I think the benefit would be if someone is struggling with that, they need to work on maybe maybe going back to like those communication skills or, you know, self-esteem and confidence challenges because, you know, everyone deserves to have friends and everyone deserves to have a group. Um, but you also have to make that first step. And for me, it's easy. I'm extroverted. But at one point I was shy. At one point I didn't have a lot of friends, but now I do. So something changed in me and I just did it and I went for it. And it's amazing the turnout when people just decide to go that one time. They're like, I'm so glad I came. I was so nervous. And I'm like, we're all nervous. That That's the misconception about the world is like, we're all feeling the same way. It's just not everyone's going to just say, yeah, I'm really nervous. I haven't, you know, met anyone in years and I don't have friends. And I'm, you know, because then when you hear that, you someone's going to assume you're a loser and all these other bad things. When in reality, it's hard to make friends as an adult. Um, it's easier as a kid, but not always. Um, but yeah, that's my own experience. And Ryan can fill in the gap. Yeah, I feel like my experience was very similar to yours in high school. I had a lot of friends that were online. I never felt like I fully connected to anybody really in my younger years. Like I felt like I was constantly going through friendship breakups or just never feeling really like I found my group of people. And I do totally believe that all of us have our flow at different times. And that sucks because when you're in high school, that's the time you want to have your flow is like, you know, that's the big social piece of your life when socialization is so important for you. So I, th I think it's completely normal. And I still see people going through that experience now. I don't think that has changed or will ever change. And just knowing that your group of friends will come, but as you become older, you have to do a little bit more work, like Lauren's saying, because you don't have the shared experiences given to you like high school or college. If you choose to go to college, you kind of have to make up your own way. And that's where social media has become so helpful, right? There's meetup groups or groups like Lauren runs where you can you know, dip your toe in and start to build that confidence to reach out, to talk to people, to meet like you guys did. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And we're lucky to have that now. Yeah, we we talk about the Facebook groups all the time because that's obviously how we met. Um, but we've gotten some guests on the podcast through these groups. Um, so we're definitely pro social media in, in that kind of perspective. Um, I'm curious if there are any, um, cause we just kind of talked about similarities in the ways that millennials and Gen Z kind of experience, um, like friendships and making friendships, but is there something like, um, differences or I guess like, what are the unique experiences this generation is going through right now that no other generation has gone through, like that they are going to have to figure out themselves because we didn't go through it. Is there any examples like that? Well, the pandemic and, you know, interrupting their, middle school, elementary school, high school experience. That's something new. I always, you know, what, because I was working um, in the high school when the pandemic started, 
I would always tell myself, I'm so lucky I'm not in high school right now because this would suck. I'm so glad I'm not freshman in college because my college years were the best. I'd be so disappointed if those four years were interrupted. Um, so definitely like the pandemic is something unique to them. Um, I'm trying to think of some other things. And I just think that all of the situations and challenges that have occurred over the last, you know, 300, 400 years are just another version. So it's still like everyone still struggles with the same thing, but they struggle with it differently. Like, you know, my parents' generation had trouble with dating too, but they didn't have dating apps. So, you know, so that's like an example. Um, but everyone kind of has the same, you know, challenges, work, school, relationships, friendships, and family. And that's, and home, that's an environment. So, I mean, you know, from a like a climate standpoint, things are not as good as they used to be, but I, I'm not going to get into that. But like, it's just another version of the same problems. And this has been going on since the world was probably created. I mean, we could look at, you know, wars from like, you know, like Roman, like wars back in the day, and like they were fighting each other. And there was, you know, so much going on back then. And we still have war today. It's just another version. Really quickly, I know you said you didn't want to touch on it, but I want to touch on it, um, the climate change specifically. Um, have you noticed that that is a major stress stressor in younger people? Or do you think that we are all stressing at the same time? <laughs> Well, the reason I didn't want to touch on it is because I don't have enough information to touch on it uh, beyond that. So I, you know, I'm not, um, I mean, I'm, I'm all for the environment and I do my part like recycling and not littering and all that stuff. But like, I don't have a background in speaking on that. But I think that um, the new generation is more politically um, and actively involved too. And that is something that I actually, now that I'm speaking about it, is another thing, uh, the, the just political political climate of the last couple years is is different for Generation Z than it was for millennial. Um, I don't know if Ryan, you have anything to add to that statement. I agree with what you said. It's just kind of like history just repeats itself in different generations in different fashion sense. So, you know, I think it's very similar in some ways, but we all keep trying to tell each other it's different for our generation. But yes, pandemic 100%. Climate change, I don't really hear any of my Gen C students talking about it or anything. I mean, I would say most of them carry around a reusable water bottle, which awesome. Like we didn't see that before. Uh, but otherwise, I don't really hear them talk about it. They will talk about politics, though. And I think that is kind of their strength as a generation is to be more open about it um, and to be more likely to go to rallies or speak their their minds a little bit. Uh, but they're still definitely, for the most part, most of them are still obviously following along their parents' perspective, except for the cycle breakers who will speak their mind if it's different. So you guys just mentioned a little bit about um, like relationships and dating. I'm wondering if that looks significantly different. I, I know that some millennials are on um, the dating apps. I know that even older generations are using the dating apps, but is that different for younger people and of course, I'm sure the pandemic played into that as well. You can start, Lauren. I'm not quite sure actually about that. Yeah, I think I'm kind of stumped myself. Um, I can't include Gen Z per se in that, at least not teenagers, because they, they are not allowed on dating apps. It's 18 and above. So they're still doing their little high school romances that are cute. And, you know, some will probably last forever and others will not. Um, but yeah, I think, well, definitely with dating apps, I mean, it's 
basically, I'm sure there's statistics on it, just like the amount of people on dating apps during the pandemic because we couldn't go anywhere. So the amount of people calling and video chatting went up. Um, now that's something people are interested in. But when I tried to do that before the pandemic, people thought I was weird. Um, and I'm like, no, I just want to hear your voice. Uh, make sure that we are on the same page. Uh, so I I can't, I mean, that that's all I think I have to say about like dating um, and the generation. Yeah, that's what I've that's seen. totally fair. I do want to plug in this statistic because I did actually just hear it yesterday. Dating is actually 30% down since the pandemic started. So although we would expect that it kind of went up because people are lonely, it went down 30%. So I find that kind of fascinating. And that leads into the next thing, <laughs> depression and anxiety. Don't know. Uh, well, I'm mistaken for that statistic. Um, but, uh, what would you like to know about depression and anxiety? Well, it feels like, like my parents' generation, like, of course they had depression and anxiety, but no one talked about it and no one acknowledged it. And maybe it was masked as like an alcohol dependence. And then it feels like it started to become more talked about, but even millennials still aren't dealing with it perfectly well. And then you said you guys, um, see that the Gen Z is putting the gas on for managing mental health. But do you think anxiety and depression has gone up? I mean, of course, with COVID, but has it been going up? Have we been getting better skills to deal with it? Um, what do you think about the trends of anxiety and depression? I think for sure it's gone up quite a bit. I think all diagnoses across the board we've seen an increase in. Um, and maybe that's just because we're better at noticing them and people are more likely to come forward about it. But I definitely think that depression and anxiety and um, unfortunately suicide has gone way up uh, over time. And I think it's because our pressures in life have gone up as well. You know, like Lauren and I were talking about this earlier, you know, for our parents' generations, they could come out of college and be making a big enough salary to get married and to buy a house, right? Or to live more comfortably or, or make different decisions for, for not all, but for, you know, most, most people, that it was a little bit easier. My dad was just telling me the other day when he was in college, his apartment was $75 a month and he lived in the Valley. So, I mean, things have just changed so much. So, of course, depression and anxiety are going to go up because millennials and Gen Z are coming out of college with student loans. And they're much higher than our parents were if they had student loans. You know, there's a lot of pressure in high school to be the best at everything. I mean, most of my students play two sports. They're in clubs. They're in choir. They play an instrument. They're in AP classes because if they're not... They have to battle all these other people to get to a certain place. And so, of course, if we're not living a lifestyle that's more relaxed, our anxiety is going to go up and our depression. So it's just become incredibly competitive, basically. Um, do you think there's anything else contributing to that or just we're recognizing it better and it's just super competitive? I think, you know, a lot of things are contributing to it. It's really difficult, I feel, to wake up and be happy or to feel satisfied in your life when there's just a lot going on in the world too, right? Like we've had a really hard few years politically. We've had the pandemic. And even before that, you know, we can continue to see things go up in price, but our pay for everybody never went up with it. So I think it's hard for people to find a lifestyle that works for them in a way that they're not working all of the time and sacrificing a lot to get there. And so 
as humans, we're meant to be social and connected. And I think there's a lot of things in our society now that is separating us from being able to do that without it costing a lot, either emotionally or, you know, money-wise. And also, like a city like Los Angeles, as we all know, is very expensive. And a lot of people, you know, they work to live and they have to make sacrifices. And I was just thinking about like the other day going to the grocery store and how things have changed. You know, they're up um, a whole dollar sometime. Like uh, I Trader Joe's has raised their prices and I think detergent was also raised. And so like, but my salary is not changing. So they're raising prices. Now I have to make choices. Should I buy detergent or should I buy food? You know, something as basic as that. So that's going to lead to a lack of, you know, um, feeling good and happy. And, um, you know, you want to make sure that you're able to survive, pay rent, um, you know, go to the doctor, all these things. And it's just hard. I mean, what Ryan said, it's hard to wake up happy these days. You know, so I think that we're all in this collective experience. And of course, some days are going to be amazing. And for some people, they might not experience this. But I think we've all had these moments, at least at one point over the last two years. And I've had more of them than I thought I would. But it makes sense because I like being around other people. I like going and doing things and spending money and traveling. And I've had to cut back on all of that because everything has changed. Yeah, totally. Um, I I kind of want to end the episode with um, a little bit more of a positive spin because I know we've talked a lot about some kind of heavier things. Um, so Ryan, earlier you kind of told us a success story that you've had with one of your clients where um, she's making really big positive changes. Um, so Lauren, Ryan, can you guys share some examples of like really positive, really successful experiences that the, the younger generation is going through, um, cycle breaks, things like that? Um, what are some of the, the major ways that Gen Z is uh, changing things for the better? Do you want me to go? Yes. <laughs> um, I... Weirdly enough, I do have to think about that a little bit um, just because I don't work with teenagers as much as I used to. So I'm kind of going off of the ones that I work with currently. What I do like about Gen Z is the openness for therapy and wanting mental health services. Like that is, there's nothing wrong with that. It's an absolute positive and I applaud them for being so open and willing to talk about these really tough issues. Also potentially being cycle breakers, um, you know, that's huge too. And I, I just like the fact that they're more um, involved and aware of just like social issues too. So there's a lot that they're doing right um, and it's hard to tell too, because, because there's still the generation below us, I think in another 10 years, we can kind of look at maybe some, uh, like statistics, resources, uh, different, uh, things on how it's changed in those 10 years. Um, because I still think they're a little bit too young to be like, uh, you know, quote unquote tested on. Um, but I like that they are more willing to have hard conversations and are more socially aware. Yeah, I would say also, you know, they're continuing to break that barrier around stigmatization around mental health, around, you know, sexuality and gender. They're more comfortable being fluid in themselves and, you know, kind of creating a unique persona or, you know, just being themselves more without fear. So I think that is really great. 
I also think that they're willing to ask hard questions and challenge things, um, you know, at school, politically, all of those things. And I think we also see, at least in my school district, I'm seeing a lot more kids kind of stepping away from college and going back into trades, which I think is huge. I think we need more of that. You know, we need more people that are passionate about sewing, design, woodworking, all of that, because that's stuff we all still need in our society. And so I think it's nice to see Gen Z being more flexible of like, you know, millennials were like, you go to college, it's just what you do. And like, I feel like their generation is like, no, we have flexibility. We have options that we can still be successful in. So it sounds like all in all, they are pretty dang resilient people. It's just maybe not so much. Yeah, not so much with the communication, but that's something they're working on. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think they've taught me a lot too, working with them. I've learned from them um, different things. And, you know, resiliency is just based on knowing yourself and knowing your limits and knowing when to set those boundaries. Um, And that can be for any age, but the older generations are are the way they are. They're not flexible anymore. Um, unless, you know, you have that one person who decides to make that change at 65, 70 years old. But for the most part, you got to just accept like, you know, your parents, grandparents, that's who they are. And these are their values. But um, Gen Z and millennial are still in that, you know, fluidity, flexibility stage, especially Gen Z, because um, a lot of them are still teenagers and teenagers, you know, they're, they're still learning and growing themselves. So I'd love to touch base with them in another five, six years just to see where they are at that point. I think before we close, I would love to hear a little bit just for my interest about how the podcast is going and, uh, and kind of leave off with that. And then um, maybe you can tell your, you know, the listeners where they can find you guys. Sure. Yeah. I feel like our podcast is doing really well. We have been very, very blessed to have people like yourselves come to us and talk to us and be interested in being on the podcast. And so we've had such a great diversity in our guests that make it really exciting. Um, But yeah, if you guys are interested, we are on all different platforms for podcasts, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, The Works, and it's Dope Shit My Therapist Says. And you can follow us on Instagram and it's Dope SHT Therapy Pod. And we release um, episodes twice a month, and we have uh, different uh, topics and themes um, on our Instagram, and we create all our own content. Um, We did just do the rebrand that I had mentioned, so um, the new colors, new theme, we are obsessed with it. We love it. feels more like us, and um, just, you know, we're always open to feedback and uh, evolving and changing and growing, and we love connecting with other people, and we love connecting with other podcasts, too, and supporting different podcasts, so, you know, we really appreciate you having us on and then, you know, we hope to have you on as well. So, oh, yeah, we definitely cannot wait for that. Yeah, super excited to come on your podcast. Um, okay, so what we really love with our, to do with our guests is have them kind of uh, leave the audience with something to think about. Um, so, whether it's Lauren or Ryan or both of you, um, if you could summarize this episode or if you could leave somebody to walk away with one thought, what would you want them to think? That's a great question. <laughs> Oh, Ryan has an answer. Go for it. I think it's just to be kind. We're going through so much right now. And to understand that a different generation might not have the same experience as you, but they still have the same experience as being human. And so to come from that perspective. 
I like that too. And just have empathy for others. And also like the theme of our week is choose yourself. So I feel like that's just something that's really important. Um, Choose yourself. It's not selfish. It's self-care. It's self-love. It's growth. And it helps you reset um, to be there for other people too. So when you know you're having a tough time, whatever age you are, um, just know like you are allowed to set boundaries and work on yourself if you want to. And uh, there's going to be a lot of support um, coming your way, even if it's not from the people you want it to, to be from. That And that, again, ties back in with why social media can be so powerful is just like, you know, there could be someone posting something and then there's strangers commenting how much they care about you and stay strong. And, you know, there's always someone out there that's looking out for you. Beautifully said. Well, thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Ryan. We are honored that you guys are here and we can't wait to see you again one more time for your channel. Thank you so much for having us.